previously on Dark Water Podcast. Police say they are only beginning their investigation into the two decomposing bodies discovered across the street from each other this week. She says the attacker cut Megan's hair, but her daughter couldn't see who it was. Happy Lynn Patterson was last seen leaving her home here on East 9th Street a year ago today. Tonight, a special edition of our program examines Robeson County, a place where poverty, distrust, and violence have become a public issue. When you've got a fragmented county this way, uh, everybody's pulling against everybody else. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. How you doing? Doing well. All right. Uh, so for the folks that are just dropping in, uh, I'm Brett and... What's up, man? I'm Nick. Nick's here with us. This is Darkwater Podcast, if you're joining us for the first time. Uh, we've been researching and doing this podcast since uh, maybe fall 2017 yep. about the murders and disappearances of several women in Lumberton, North Carolina. Rhonda Jones, Kristen Bennett, Megan Oxendine, and Abby Patterson, uh, all within spring and summer of 2017. So all along, you guys have been sending us questions, and we're finally going to take some of them and uh, just talk about what you've asked so far. And I think Nick's going to kind of be our DJ for this episode and lead us through what he thinks will be most interesting to talk about first. Yeah, and uh, just want to thank everyone for just tuning in and uh, just all the questions that were submitted and all the just tips and stuff that we just received over the, now our third year doing this. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, all right, so our first question comes from Irving, Texas. All right. Uh, this, is this is from Anonymous. Um, it says, hey, Brett, hey, Nick. Just want to say I'm really enjoying the podcast from Irving, Texas. I did want to ask you guys a question. Uh, you, you know, I really was kind of surprised at the end when you guys said the rape kits were held by police for a year. That's really interesting, and I hope in the future we can get some answers to that question. Second thing, I really enjoy hearing about Dr. G, and I wanted to get your input about when you guys started the po podcast, and did he give you guys any tips or pointers? Uh, big fan of Up and Vanished, and uh, yeah. So that's basically the gist of that question. If there's any advice that kind of helped our investigation as well. Uh, so a big thing for us, I think, and you can jump in here, Nick, was Dr. G talked to us a lot about the geographic profiling. And it kind of mathematically confirmed something a lot of people probably suspected, that whoever committed these crimes has an affinity for East Lumberton. They work there, know someone there, frequent the area for some reason. So we kind of confirmed that through Dr. G. And other than that, we really didn't get a hold of any specific case files. We put in a lot of FOIA requests, but they were never returned, not denied, but never returned. Um, so he would have been able to help us a lot in that realm if we had actual case files, but we've only had medical examiner, autopsy, toxicology, and then uh, pretty much what the media knows and what we found out through interviews. So he helped us a lot with that. And uh, just, I think, how... LPD would be working with the FBI to conduct this investigation and why they were called in in the first place. Um, other than that, he just kind of reminded us that, you know, this is serial murder, uh, regardless of the motive. Uh, that seems, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just been a big champion of us ever since we started. And he's just introduced us to so many people that have just helped us along the way. So he's been an incredible help to us. So we're very appreciative of 
Dr. Godwin, and he lives like an hour away from both of us, so it's even better that you know we have someone on our home turf as well. Yeah, it was really cool when we got to visit him in Fayetteville. Super nice dude. Uh, helped us out a lot. We just emailed him out of the blue and never expected a return really on that, but uh, it's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So our second question is from a resident of Robinson County. Uh, we got this via email some time ago says, hey y'all, I love that y'all are shedding light on Lumberton and the possible serial killer. I grew up in Topsail Island, not too far from Robinson County, and my husband went to UNC Pembroke, which is uh, the local um, college. Uh, I was wondering if y'all looked into the possibility that it's related to the Seven Bridges killer in Rocky Mount. Uh, Rocky Mount is about two hours away north, uh, off 95. Um, a man was arrested and charged with murder in one of the deaths, and there are 10 suspected victims. But according to a news article, uh, there's not enough evidence to charge him with the other murders. In interesting enough, he had been held in Lumberton Correctional Facility since 2016. The connections I see really are the background demographics of the women, and, uh, and it just sounds like similar cases that are happening in, in uh, Rocky Mount as well. Um, so essentially, they just want to know if they're related or if we, you know, think they're related by one central suspect, as she seems to think it might be. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Allison. Awesome question. And I just want to say that case is fascinating in general, the Rocky Mount serial killer case, or some people call it Edgecombe County serial killer or Seven Bridges Road killer. But uh, Antoine Pittman, the guy that uh, police at least believe committed these crimes, or at least they say he did. He's currently in Raleigh Central Prison, um, not far from where I live, actually. So I've debated at times trying to write him maybe for uh, some sort of future creative endeavor to go into that case, but we're not really sure for now. But as far as them being connected, I think they're only connected in uh, the ways in which they occurred. I don't think it's actually a similar person that committed those crimes. That's always the possibility, but I'd say it's the least likely. But in Rocky Mount, the situation was those girls were literally on the wrong side of the tracks. They were on the black side of town. And just like in Lumberton, they were written off until enough were found that uh, they actually had to call in uh, to get help with that situation there. So there's some debate about the person incarcerated, if they really committed those crimes. It's hard to say. Uh, there's a little bit of evidence that can make you think either direction. Um, I would really recommend, if you are interested in that story, to hit up a, I know this sounds weird, but it's in GQ, but it's a GQ story from years back called uh, Lost Girls of Rocky Mount. Um, but you really should hit that up if you're interested in that story. I think it's just as captivating as what we've been covering in Lumberton, and maybe we'll get a chance to speak on it more in the future. But I think they're similar as far as victimology goes. Uh, women that were written off. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think... It's definitely the victimology is very like very similar and also like just the proximity to 95 is also the same so i feel like a lot of you know rural areas off major interstates they all kind of have this similar kind of problem where there's drugs prostitution and just like you know other means of getting by yeah definitely our rocky mount like lumberton was crime ridden uh, i think justin who does our music actually came from rocky mount or grew up there so yeah. he can attest to so, that justin? yeah i don't know if he's here right now I don't think no. he is. All right, so moving on, All we right. have uh, another North Carolina resident. They're from Raleigh. This is from Laurel. It says, uh, I'm a member of the 
Lumbee tribe. Uh, my parents are originally from Pembroke, but right now we live in the Raleigh area. I'm a dedicated Dark Water podcast listener. Thank you for listening. I was wondering if you all be speaking more of the opioid ed- epidemic and uns- unsolved crimes going on in Robinson County. Recently, my 27-year-old cousin was found dead inside her friend's home. After hearing talk around town, she was one of the four within a few days to be found dead. Some say it was an overdose, some say it was an unknown drug from a crooked dealer. We all have, we, we have involved the police and still remain with unanswered questions. We are still mourning, grieving, and questioning, but once we lay her to rest, I want to tell her story. Even if it's just a story of the hardship of this process and raise awareness of the drug epidemic in Robinson County and how much pain these choices cause family, leaving children behind, and the impact on the community. I hope to hear from you all. Thank you for your question, Laurel. Yeah, thanks to Laurel, and in general, thanks to anyone in the Lumbee tribe that's been writing to us and sharing their experience, because obviously as two white dudes, you know, um, we don't really have a frame of reference for that, and we're learning as we go. So we appreciate the perspective. Um, and the story of Lummi Tribe in general is crazy. I, they've been fighting for federal recognition since like the 1880s, I believe. Um, and just really unique cultural situation going on in Robinson County. But going back to Laurel's question, uh, we obviously wrote her um, soon after she sent that in because that's super tragic, clearly. And that's the first thing we wanted to address. So we did with her in an email. But as far as the opioid epidemic, we really haven't talked about that specifically, maybe just uh, grazed over it as we've been covering Lumberton material. We know that it's going on there as it is in all of North Carolina, and I assume it's pretty bad uh, based on the socioeconomic status of most folks there. So uh, it hasn't directly intersected with our story other than just substance abuse issues at large in those areas of North Carolina. Um, but obviously, you know, this goes without saying, something still needs to be done more, uh, not just for this case, but all those that fall in that category. Um, we know it was cocaine for the cases we were looking at, but, you know, all addiction should be handled better systemically. Yeah, I completely agree. And a lot of the places that are rural and, you know, smaller places like that, they're not, they're one of the last places to actually get, you know, progressive type you know, addiction type treatment exactly. facilities that, that are... Yeah, in the, speaking of which, if the federal government would actually recognize the Lumbee tribe, they would get more resources for those issues. So uh, it's kind of ironic that, you know, you see this problem in society, something like that would address it. But in some cases, you actually have other tribes speaking out against them getting that recognition. So interesting dynamic there. One I'm still learning about for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. All right, now, speaking of, uh, we have another Lumbee tribal member uh, that sent in the question. Um, she says, I'm a Lumbee tribal member that's been listening to your podcast lately. I was curious if the murders in Rocky Mount were similar. Um, this is kind of similar to the question we had earlier. Um, I remember in the past community members going to rehab centers in Rocky Mount. I was just curious if the victims had drug-related issues. Um, that's essentially this uh, question that we got earlier. Yeah, they were all sex workers with addiction issues for sure. Um, But I do want to point out uh, against kind of popular opinion on sex workers, a lot of them did keep regular contact with their family despite leading that lifestyle, which is why many were reported missing eventually. Um, But yeah, very similar in that situation. Um, 
And another thing that was crazy about this email was the person that sent it in said they actually work near Abby Patterson's mom uh, and they work at the Robinson County Board of Elections. So Abby Patterson, if you're just tuning in and you've never listened to the podcast, after three women were found dead in April through June in Lumberton, right around the corner, Abby Patterson disappeared. Uh, It was September 5th, 2017, and she vanished into Brown Buick. Lumberton police actually knows uh, where she was dropped off. They just refused to say, and they refused to say uh, who drove her or if they're a person of interest. But a lot of people speculate about her being directly connected to the other women we've covered on the podcast. Um, And Nick and I have went driving through that neighborhood several times now. It's not just that it's in the same neighborhood. Uh, These women were found and or disappeared literally right around the corner from one another. So Yeah, literally, you can walk around the entire neighborhood within probably 10 yeah. minutes, if that. Yeah, so it's it's really hard to see those items not being connected. And uh, we've reached out to Abby's mom several times, maybe eventually in the future she will want to speak with us, uh, but we've always got this as a platform if she does. Yeah, no, we're, and we're just trying to be just the big you know supporters of everyone that... You know, it's tr- just trying to be yeah. heard, you know, if you're, and we're just trying to be another voice for the people that, you know, don't have a voice at this point. So, all right. Um, so our next question is from uh, Dr. Melinda Maynard Lowry. And this is kind of a special um, email because just of her no- notoriety, um, she's a published author. Um, and she's, but basically, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say she's a member of the Lumbee tribe and a professor at UNC, um, history professor and director for the Center of the Study of the American South. So, yeah. All right. Um, so she writes in, hey, y'all, been listening to the podcast. Thanks for the new episode. I thought you might like to know of an event tonight, which um, was a, an, an event in November. This happened in November. But uh, it was pretty much a, a big conversation about um julian pierce um the big activist the lumbee in the indian activist uh, from the that um there's a big a big event happened in the 80s that revolved around him so long story short there was a big event uh, regarding that yeah um, so essentially but, uh a lot of people think he was killed in a political assassination he was a member of the lumbee tribe running for public office there um and he was shot dead in his home, and it was uh, chalked up to a domestic situation. A lot of people think otherwise. Um, a lot of people think he was sort of linking local law enforcement there to the drug trade. And there's an entire story about all this that we covered, uh, including a hostage situation at the newspaper. Um, and that was, I think, in episode six now. It was kind of about the history of Robinson County. So. Uh, again, that's something we barely scratched the surface of. There's a lot of conspiracy thought and just a really interesting story in general. So there's a lot out there on that. You should look it up. Julian Pierce, or you can listen to that older episode. Um, and if you want to continue with the email, Nick. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then she tells us about the book that she's written. Uh, it's called the, the Lumbee Indians an American struggle. Uh, you can find that on Amazon. Uh, and then she asks, is there any evidence that the woman named S is working with the Lumberton Police or Sheriff's Department as uh, an informant? 
and do we know if the families are being represented by anybody? Well, it's kind of a timely question because recently I was able to talk to Kristen Bennett's mom. Uh, Kristen was the girl that was found wrapped in the gray blanket in the TV cabinet in the blue home across from Rhonda in the trash can, same day, April 18th when this started. Uh, but she has actually been told by law enforcement recently that a claim that was made earlier on has been debunked. A lot of people speculated that these girls were killed by men hired by a female drug dealer, the woman called S, for stealing drugs from her. Uh, this is something a detective said to Rhonda Jones's mom shortly after they were found, but we know now from speaking with Kristen's mom that she's been told that was completely debunked. The person said to be involved took a polygraph and passed. Uh, we know that's not always a guarantee, but in this case apparently that trail has gone cold and right now there's actually one person of interest they still want to speak with and interview and i don't know how that's going because obviously they only give the family so much information as well uh, but kristen's mom did want people just to know that she was a loving person not be framed as a victim and she's been notoriously private her mother so uh we appreciate her sharing what she could about that yeah for sure um and then uh another email that she sent through uh, just after some just small talk about just you know her book and stuff like that uh, she says hi again uh, I ran across this link below um, which we'll share the link after uh, after this episode um, I ran across this link below and wanted to share you may be familiar with the perspectives already I know you're learning about the community as you go along uh, you began the podcast and have reiterated in several episodes the very sad state of poverty, inequality, and injustice that exist in the community. It, it, it may be worth reminding your listeners that the struggles of the Lumbee people and the Robinson County residents are what receive the most attention in the mainstream media, and the information that the outsiders will most have ready access to, and there's a reason for that. Few journalists or casual observers have the time or the patience to get to know the texture of the community and are happy to simply focus on our problems without much digging into why these problems exist, often le leaving people to conclude that there is other, that there is other way for us, us to be, that we're inherently deviant or violent and that there's no point in addressing the structural or daily in inequalities that face us. The status of knowledge about indigenous people even in our own home state, is so deplorable that it's easy. To, that is an easy conclusion to reach when journalists don't thoroughly investigate their own biases and blind spots. So, and she lists uh, a very. Um, she lists. She gives the the article at the end of that. Yeah. So. so that was helpful for us as people, kind of easing into that community and getting to know it. Yeah, because obviously we're not legitimate journalists with degrees, but people investigating, trying to tell a story. So, good perspective to have. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and just having that kind of perspective to kind of you know, take it take it delicately, you know. What I mean, like don't judge, and that's kind of been our whole kind of uh, mo throughout this entire thing. Is you know we're not here to judge; we're here to kind of give voices or kind of you know help people that aren't being heard. Yeah, essentially. Very true. I think we've got all a lot more in common than we uh, realize sometimes especially in light of what's going on recently we've realized with COVID-19 a lot of people fall to the bottom of the totem pole in society quickly so somebody yeah. else one day could be us the next you know 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's more evident in like Lumberton and Robinson County area, just like a lot of places like that, especially when like natural disasters happen, like COVID-19 or hurricanes, which they're notoriously prevalent in that area. Um, All right. So now we're going to go to our Instagram questions. Uh, We've gotten a handful of them over the past couple months. So um, first question is, is there going to be a season two? You want to take that one? uh, it's a great question. Um, we don't know. We want to, but uh, we're kind of we're kind of at a standstill. Like everything's grown cold, and no one's really talking to us, and no one's really, you know, um, pushing the case further than we are at this point. It feels like, um, aside from the families, obviously, you know. Uh, but uh, other than that, unless you know, there's a big break in the case. I don't see. I don't know. I, I don't see us pushing any further for this particular case yeah for another season yeah they're interesting updates um i think we could bring them in one-off episodes if something really relevant happens but i agree with nick it is pretty cold right now um i think a safe answer would be nick and i probably want to work creatively together more uh be it on this case or something else in the future could be other true crime or something outside of that but um yeah i agree i think we're very much at a standstill for now yeah, and we're still working on the documentary. It's just everything's just a real slow burn with this type of stuff. Yeah. So especially cold cases where it's just cold everywhere you yeah. go. Yeah, and so. it's odd because though it's a cold case, uh, after three years, it's still fresh enough that a lot of people don't really enjoy talking about it or don't want to come forward. So the few interviews exactly. we've been getting, we had to fight really hard for and really earn people's trust. So uh, I think this whole endeavor is much more of a slow burn than we realized it would be when we started. But uh, yeah. naive of us to think we would jump in and solve some murders immediately. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. It, it's been a crazy ride so far, but it's it's been incredible for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So moving on to our second question from Instagram is what happened to Abby and how she related to the other women. So we actually covered that a little earlier uh, in detail about her disappearance and the proximity to the other women, and. Um, you know, though there's been kind of an effort to separate her as far as not being a sex worker like the other women, she was still an addict. So I think there's a chance they shared a connection through that aspect of life as well as just how closely they lived together. Um, and I do think there was a high probability the same person that preyed on Rhonda, Kristen, Megan, and uh, Cynthia Jacobs, who we talked about in later episodes, maybe did something with Abby as well. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Because uh, one of my what what I always kind of think of internally is I think it's just the same. Maybe it's the same drug dealer or same kind of central drug. Yeah, you know, like regional drug, not really cartel, yeah. but I like, think it could dr- certainly be a serial predator uh, that's tied to that world somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, they did drain two ponds looking <laughs> for her this past summer, but that didn't turn up anything. So. Still a complete mystery. Uh, again, police know where she was dropped off. They know who she was with, but that information uh, they haven't released and they haven't been willing to say publicly that she is linked to the other women. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the next question is, can the family members sue over the delay in the rape kits and the fingernail scrapings? I don't think they um, can sue because uh, it's... The case with Hanya Aguilar, the young girl who was kidnapped, raped, and killed, 
that sparked the legislation that made it a 45-day mandatory period. So before that, uh, I don't think there really was any strong legislation. So unfortunately, I don't think they would have any ground to stand on there. And as horrible as it is, I guess if more people know about these cases, uh, the more push there will be. Because frankly, I think even 45 days is kind of ridiculous. Um, as far as the fingernail scrapings go, all we know is that uh, those and other evidence, it's all been submitted to the NC Crime Lab. Uh, we don't know what results that's yielded yet, but they're there. All right, uh, so is the woman called S still in jail? Is there a way to contact her or any of her associates? Um, we tried to get some background checks on all of them. I think some are incarcerated. They have some intense rap sheets. Um, it came up blank as far as the background check, which sometimes is an indication that those records have been uh, sealed temporarily by the FBI, as I'm sure they were looking into them eventually. Um, we know that from the audio tape we heard uh, with family meetings. But I do want to reiterate, just to be clear, uh, it's been now debunked by law enforcement the theory that Rhonda and Kristen stole drugs from the woman called S and that she had a series of men take them out. Uh, from what we understand, the latest information is that that's all been debunked and law enforcement actually has one more person of interest that they would like to interview and speak with about the crimes. Um, again, that's been a recent update from the FBI to uh, the mom of Kristen Bennett. And by the way, uh, thanks right. for all the folks that have been dropping in, saying hey. And if you have any questions, we'll try to get to those um, as we close things out in just a little bit. But we appreciate you being here. Yeah, yeah. thank you. And happy Easter. All right. Um, did y'all mention, this is our last Instagram question um, before we talk to our special guest. Uh, did y'all mention someone in law enforcement was related to, to a drug addict or a sex worker? So I rack my brain on that question a lot. I can't remember exactly, um, but not that I recall in particular. Um, we've discussed the fact that uh, in the past, law enforcement in Lumberton has shared family members with people that are on the wrong side of the law, so to speak, but um, not a particular drug addict or sex worker that I'm aware of. So if you want to clarify later, send us a message. We'll try to answer that better. But. Yeah, we'll move on to that special guest, Maurice Godwin. You yeah. might know him from Up and Vanished. He was kind enough to talk to us. We discussed him a little bit earlier at the beginning of this live episode. So, uh, Brett, do you want to read his question? Yeah, so... Or your, your question to... Yeah, him. definitely. So these are some questions we've had for uh, Dr. Godwin from folks. First one, the, straight, uh, excuse me, the state crime lab has been testing the fingernail clippings and other evidence since April of last year. Is it normal for results to take this long? Is it likely they wouldn't be announcing where any potential evidence is pointing them in private? Do you think the delay is simply from negligence due to the sexual assault kit backlog or perhaps indicative of a greater cover-up? Because uh, that's something a lot of people have asked about uh, throughout all this. Is there a deeper cover-up going on with law enforcement for these cases? Are they profiting some way off the death of these women? Uh, or is it really just negligence? So this is what he had to say. I think that, that since North Carolina rate backup kits is thousands behind, and this is a cold case, I think that it's just a, they just backed up their cold cases 
and it's just not a priority to them. All right. All right. Uh, anything to add, Nick? Or are we moving on to number two? Moving on. To moving two. on. It has been revealed that the FBI was upset with several moves from the Lumberton Police Department, including not sharing information provided from the families, uh, which I was told directly by the Jones family. They learned that LPD was not passing on info to the FBI, and uh, some FBI agents were actually upset about that in a meeting. But in addition, they were also upset about the fact that Lumberton Police Department decided to destroy a gray blanket at the medical examiner's office that Kristen was wrapped in. Um, so we asked if it was typical for local police departments to be guarded when interacting with the FBI, especially after asking them for help. Is this an issue um, of lack of experience or purposely evading a proper investigation? Typically, uh, the, the local uh, investigation agency is fully cooperative with the FBI if, since they asked them to come in to help. So I'm not sure uh, about them withholding information from the FBI. That, that, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, and I know the human mind likes to quickly go to conspiracy and cover up, but I do think more and more there's a chance that this is all negligence and human error, um, especially given the type of victims they were working with. Um, yeah, I agree. And I think there's just so much crime prevalent that they kind of prioritize what is more important. And unfortunately, people that are, you know, considered, the uh, you know, women of the night or sex workers or drug addicts are typically, the you know, they're not the first to be helped if that's definitely and and if we want to truly be honest with about it the way law enforcement's going in that area uh they just got back rights to receive uh federal money through a drug forfeiture program because they were so corrupt for so long so their number one goal uh is making money off people with an addiction not helping them um penalizing them yeah so that's how i see it more and more but moving on, unless you have something to add. Nope. All right. Uh, so the next question is, I'll read this one for you. It is, the FBI recently disclosed to the family member of a particular victim that are still looking at one person for these crimes, despite previous theories. Oh, very quickly. Did we do number three? And no. Okay. Word. I, it was. It was not. It was not. Answered. Okay, got you covered. No big deal. Sorry to cut you off. We're doing it live, like Bill O'Reilly. We're doing it live. <laughs> there are gonna be mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Carry on. And if you like this format, please let us know because it's kind of yeah. cool. And also fun while we're all at home. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, for sure. And hope everyone's being safe. All right. Um. So, the question is. Brad, you can read if you want. All right. I'll hop in. The FBI recently disclosed to the family member of a particular victim, uh, and again, that's Kristen Bennett that we discussed earlier, that they are still looking at one person for these crimes, despite previous theories. What type of person do you think they are? Do you think it's likely they have already been interviewed, or at least on law enforcement's radar? Yes, I think, I don't know, I'm not sure about being interviewed. But I'm sure that the, the killer is known to the police and uh, 
they just don't have enough evidence at this time to charge him. And that makes sense. I mean, we know a lot of the times these people, they've either, they've either committed suicide, left the area. Um, they have been interviewed, like you said, but there's not enough evidence. So really there's this mystery person left hanging out there now. So uh, no clue. Uh, we've we've learned right. so much, but we're kind of back at square one. If it really is this mystery guy, yeah, it, it kind of throws a wrench in the whole every theory that we've ever yeah. heard until now. I feel like we've learned right. uh, not a lot about the cases, but just more about all the different institutional crisis situations that we've witnessed along the way. So yeah, and and it's not just prevalent in you know Eastern North Carolina; it's prevalent throughout lots of rural places in the United States. It's kind of crazy about, you know, the many similarities, kind of like, you know, like Jennings, Louisiana. There's exactly. Fresh, fre fresh case just like that, you yeah. know, that didn't happen that long ago. And it's just like the cases that we're hearing yeah. now. So it's very, it's very crazy to kind of see the, the commonalities amongst everything throughout different parts of the, the Exactly. Country. Another good example, Long Island serial killer. Case has been going on since the 90s, same types of victims. Yeah. And you look at people like Grim Sleeper and Samuel Little. Yeah. All right. So uh, here's our last question from Dr. Godwin. Um, do you think law enforcement knows what has happened or has been covering it up? Or is this just a sequence of just, you know, lack of effort and dropping the ball multiple times and just incompetence, really, police incompetence? So this, so this is what he had to say. I just don't think, I think the, the uh, lumber to police has um, botched this investigation to a point that they, 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 they think they know who the killer is, but don't have enough in, uh, physical evidence to charge the person. I think that's exactly what the escape these all these cases amount to. And I completely agree. Um, after you know initially when we first started working on these cases, like my mind was made up. It's like it has to be a serial killer or like you know something like a simple answer like that but like as we gotten further into it and it's just gotten more complex and complex and then there's just so many different theories i just feel like there's just a, a series of different mistakes that were made through you know crucial people yep. you know throughout this entire investigation i know I think, um, and not ju not just this one, but many others that are just yeah, like. Yeah, I think by the time the FBI was called in, so much had been botched already. It seems. I mean, even if the gray blanket was a mistake, that's a horrendous mistake. I have no background in law enforcement, but I wouldn't destroy a blanket that someone was wrapped in. Um, yeah. yeah, the gray bl gray blanket thing was uh, a couple episodes. I think it was like the third episode or something like yeah. that. But essentially, law, law enforcement threw away a blanket that one of the, the bodies were wrapped in inside a TV cabinet yep. and they just didn't see it as crucial yeah, evidence. That was so. Kristen. Um, and just lots of little things like that throughout this entire investigation, which, you know, who's, who knows how many other investigations are just like it or even worse. Yeah. So. I mean, Lumberton's so full of uh, situations that just, you know, melt your mind when you look at it and try to figure out there's this situation, there's past serial murders we've looked at in Lumberton there are some really odd grave desecrations that we've never even covered on the podcast, one of which 
they called in the FBI because they thought what they were looking at was so strange with these bodies just left out in the open. And that's really how I feel with this place in general. You're looking at something, you know it's strange, you can't put your finger on it as far as what exactly is going on. I mean, it's just a crazy place. Uh, the truth being stranger than fiction there for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you to everybody for sending in your questions. It was just, and thanks for just joining us throughout this duration of the podcast and the documentary so far. And it's been, it's been a fun ride so far, but uh, we have one more episode, right? Brett? Yeah, definitely. And I agree. You know, we never expected this many people to listen. So thank you so much. And I hope that it raises awareness in some way and uh, at least supplies more pressure to these cases or ones like them in the future. And as far as the last episode goes, we know that we've covered a lot of complex uh, conspiracy theory around the case and uh, delved into a lot of very minute detail. So for the last episode, it's going to be a very clear-cut timeline of just the crimes and important surrounding events, factual stuff that we've confirmed since we've started the podcast. So we're going to be presenting that in narrative form and making it uh, as much of a just interesting story when you look at just the bare facts laid out of what's happened since uh, the morning of April 18th, 2017, up to now. And if you want to find out more and you're just tuning in, we've got all the past episodes available wherever you want to listen. And uh, we all hope you're doing well at home, staying safe. Yeah. 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 And thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, again, if you guys like us doing these kind of live formats, just let us, let us yeah, know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's fun. And thanks for participating. Exactly. And speaking of participating, uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram, Darkwater Podcast. You can always leave us a voicemail at 919-307-9331, or you can hit us up at darkwaterpod at gmail.com. So, yeah, speak to us if you'd like to before we close out the season, if there's anything you want to add or ask. Um, anything left, Nick? Uh, doc, we have one message from uh, Dr. Godwin, and that, that's all, that's all awesome. I have. Awesome. And did we miss any questions along the way? Uh, let me do. Let's see I quickly. Um, is there anyone? Looks like we've covered them all. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Let us know how you like this, and uh, we'll be speaking with you soon for that last episode.